rambling in Havana I took a little risk Send lawyers, guns and money Dead, get me out of this Welcome everyone, after a year off, to episode 65 of the Matt Jones Podcast. It's literally been almost exactly a year since the last one. And our goal is to try to do some more of these. At least this spring, we have a few scheduled that we're excited about. We hope to bring on uh, Oscar Combs is going to sit down with me for one. I'm going to do a political one with uh, State Representative, excuse State Senator Morgan, Morgan McGarvey and a young guy I think people should know. And we'll do some other ones as well. But uh, this is our first one. And this is sponsored. Well, actually, let me introduce who's with me first. For our first time in a year, we're bringing the legend of Kentucky basketball, one Rex Chapman. Rex, how are you, sir? I'm great, buddy. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is very good to have you here. Uh, Rex, do you like salad? I like salad. I'm a salad guy. All right, well, I'll tell you a place that I enjoy eating a lot. Please There's do. one right next to my house, Vinaigrette Salad Kitchen. Mm. Have you been down there? No, I've not. You need to go. They are the sponsor of this return of the Matt Jones ah, podcast, so I, we thank them. I'll go. At Vinaigrette Salad Kitchen, they have huge salads. They're packed with veggies and meat. I get this one. It's called like the blackberry, bluegrass blackberry or something. It's Do got you have your own? Is it your own named salad? No, they didn't name it after me. They, they should. should. They should. Yeah. But it's got this dressing that's all blackberry. Right. And right. Put chicken on it, and it's mm, so good. Nice. Uh, and I go down there, and it's great. And at lunch, the place packed. But they do it quickly. There's one downtown. There's one out Lee's Town Road. Is there another one? I know those two. There might be one in Hamburg. What's it called one more time? Vinaigrette, vinaigrette. Salad Kitchen. Think, of, think about the, the dressing. Vinaigrette, yeah. And they Got mix it. the dressing in nice. with you right there. And they serve up soups and lemonades. I do the strawberry lemonade. Great. It is, for the summer, it's just delectable. Nice. If you're trying to get a quick lunch that's on the healthier side or even a dinner, check out one of their four locations. See? Mm. I said I have yep. four locations yep. in Lexington it. or in Louisville on Hurstbourne Parkway. We've got to figure out where the other two are. I know the one downtown, the one on Leestown Road. Let me know, Maria, before the end's over, and we'll tell you where the other one is. Thanks to them. For those of you that like the Matt Jones podcast, it's back thanks to Vinaigrette Salad Kitchen. Rex, how are you, sir? I'm great, buddy. I really am. You know, you and I have never done one of these. Mm -mm. We've done some interviews on the radio, but we've never done one of these. And I wanted to sort of uh, sit down and, and just – you can put it on right there if you want. There's a little – Oh, thank you. Little Sit down coaster. and have a uh, a heart-to-heart with Rex Chapman. Nice. Let's start with this, Rex, uh, right. just moments before we started taping this. Winion, uh, Gabriel decided to declare for the draft but not hire an agent. We're still waiting to hear from Jared Vanderbilt, uh, what will happen with Quaddy Green, will P.J. Washington return. You know, I'm doing the radio show, and I, and I, I get a sense from people of just uneasiness, not so much about the Shays and the Knoxes, mm -hmm. but this kind of group of guys mm -hmm. – and going, are you, are you at all worried that the culture of Kentucky has become that if you're not gone in a year, you're failing, and thus you have to go? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't like it. Uh, but the other part of that is the the players themselves; they almost feel that way. I think. Oh, I know that. And do, so. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think about my kids. I've got 25, 23, 19, and 17. 19 and 17. Those are the that's ages that kids over yeah. here. And I think about them, you know, trying to make real life, real world decisions. And it's, you know, I, I, I stress about it for them. Um, 
Shea's going to play in the NBA next year. I think you can put Shea in a basketball game in the NBA next year at some point. Kevin, you can't put in a basketball game right now. Not you, so you think Shea's more NBA ready today yes. than Knox? Yes. Now, because of toughness he, or something well, like that? No, Kevin's still – yeah, well, Kevin is still gangly. You know, he's still figuring out his body and everything. Shea is more of who he's always going to be. Kevin, if he if he does work at it, he can be really good. But you can't – you couldn't put him in any any NBA game right now. None. Um, and what, the rest of our guys – Who would you pick first out of those two? Shea. You, do you think Kevin has more long-term upside? I think possibly. But there are two very big issues with Kevin. He doesn't handle it or pass it well at all. He's not a good – well, first of all, he doesn't even try to pass he, it he, most of the time. The, the, the other guy that we had in here who couldn't handle or pass and he was drafted 17th in the draft is James Young. Not, yeah. not at all. And Kevin is close to that. He's not as quite a bad a passer and decision maker. But um, Kevin's got – He'll be in the league for, for quite a while because he can shoot the basketball. Yeah. And at a minimum, you put him out there as a spot-up shooter. And, but you I, know, I think he really thought about coming back. I mean, I, I, th- I think he was close. Hey, listen, if we're just talking basketball – that's what he should have done. That's what he should have done. Yeah. But, you know, we're not. We're and, not. you know, right, so, you can't. Go back to the Winions of the yeah. world. I mean, here's what I worry about. I understand Shea and Kevin going. They're going to be lottery picks, and if I had a kid that was going to be a lottery mm-hmm. pick, I'd say you got to go. Mm-hmm. What I worry about is what you said about the players, though. Like, I worry that the players feel like a failure if they don't go, and it pushes them to go. Like, I asked Shea about that when he came in. Kind of asked him off the air. I was like, do you think guys feel like that? And he goes, maybe a little. Mm-hmm. Like, I would hate for winning Gabriel. Mm-hmm. to want to be back or think he should be back, but go, man, it's embarrassing if I come back for another Listen, year. I think Winion's comes, Winion comes back. That, this is my opinion. Winion hasn't tried this process before, and I think this is good for him. I really do. Um, he, he, we need Winion back. But listen, I think that – and I'm not a fan of the NCAA, but I think they did a good thing when they said, listen, one time you can test the waters, go through the draft process – uh, play, you know, play against all the all the guys coming out, and then you can go back to school after yeah. you've kind of because listen, when you're Kevin Knox and Shea are going to find this out right now. You start going to these workouts; these guys are two, three, four years older. Some of them may even be coming from Europe back here to work yeah. out with you. They're going to find out really quick, and as will PJ. PJ is going to find out really you quick. You think he'll be back? Yes, I think. Listen, he'll. He's not going to get picked. No, he's not going to get picked. And when you, and I'll tell you who else may not is Hami. But Hami's already hired. I know. Uh, well, no, listen, I, I think this was the right move for Hami because he does need – he needs – he need, if anybody needs the D-League, it's Hami. Why? He, he What's just, good about the D-League? It seems like nothing. No, he needs a steady diet of minutes okay. against grown men. Um, and Hamadou still – is figuring out how to play basketball. You know, he his feel for the game. I don't know that there, we've seen a guy with a bigger discrepancy in athleticism <laughs> yeah. and feel, right? Yeah. Uh, when you were around these guys last year, did you like them? Loved them, every one of them. Uh, you know, they're, the one guy who was uh, could be a bit moody and um, who I, I got to know over the course of the year just watching him in practices and who I think, you know, when I came to school – my father had 
let me know he didn't think I was very good, which also let me know I may, may not be that good. He didn't think you were very good when you came to Kentucky. No. <laughs> and 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 uh, so I was kind of I, – I had that mindset. Nick Richards came in here with the exact opposite mindset this year, I think. They thought he was really good. I, I just think, you know, he didn't have it. Why not? He's He made a McDonald's team already, and, you know, he hadn't really played a lot of basketball, but – it was a real rude awakening for uh, Nick this year. And I, I think the, the year did him a, a bunch of good. Uh, but he, he was one guy who, you know, he sometimes, a lot of times, looked like he'd rather be anywhere but yeah. at practice. Um, but he put in the work every day. I'm looking forward to him taking this year as, as a sort you of know, a maturation Shea was, year. You know, Shea was on my radio show and said a kid that, that uh, didn't play at all, Jamal Baker. I said, "What is?" I said, "Who's the best shooter on the team?" And he goes, "Jamal Baker's not yeah. even close." I said, "Who wins a game of horse?" He was like, "Jamal Baker, and it's not even close." Yeah. You got to shoot with yeah. him, didn't no, you? No, he Jamal Baker. And I said this the, after I shot ball with him the first day, probably a year ago. He he shoots the ball automatic. He's got an automatic stroke, and when I think of that, I think of Del Curry. I think of Dale Ellis. I think of Jason Capono. I think of Kyle Korver. Guys who, when they have an open look, Deron Lamb, Mm -hmm. uh, you know Tony Delk. When those guys have open looks, you you, you're surprised when they miss. Yeah. And Jamal has a stroke like that. And yeah, and he's a good basketball player too. It's not like he's just a shooter. He you can throw him out there at the one two and. You know, this year I, I hope even some three if we play small. Um, well, I think we'll have to because yeah, there are going to be so many guards that that, uh, that happens. T- t- I said that when Cal lost Zion Williamson that I think it reignited a fire under him recruiting-wise, and you've seen it play out yeah. over the last few weeks. Do you agree with that? I agree. Um, I, I was, I've learned a lot from Cal and, and about Cal these last couple years, just being close, um, you know, watching the guys practice and having access like that uh, each day. He, I was – there were times this year I really – when I saw him, I thought he's going to be just on fire, angry, you know, about the team, about the practice, about the everything. And I think he really figured out early on that, hey, this team – whether he said it or not, I'm sure he didn't even allow himself to think it. But I said it all year long. If this team we had just now makes it to the second weekend, the season is a success. Now, we got here and we got there. But then we had And to then play. we wanted yeah. – we got greedy and yeah. all that like we should or, or would. Um, but I think he realized – and I th- – I'm I'm amazed at the job they did with this team because we should have we should have lost three or four games early in the season. Vermont and a couple of those games we were down that, what eight at half to dude, Utah Valley State, Virginia Tech. Yeah. I mean, it, that we have had the record that we had is just amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that you know seeing Coach K mm-hmm. and Duke do this the last couple years and sort of take over the you know one and done thing uh for a brief stretch i think it has motivated not only cal but the rest of our staff what's it been like for you to be back around the program i mean you i I find your relationship with uk basketball fascinating because and here's why i say this i mean i you there may be no player in the history of this program that was more 
people were more excited to have come play at Kentucky than you. Why do you think that? Well, I think because you were the great white hope. Ah. But, I mean, that's true, though. And But, but at the same time, you also then – I mean, look – you were the coolest dude when I was a kid. It wasn't just that you were from Kentucky and this white kid from Kentucky, but that you could jump yeah. and that you could dunk, et cetera. So then you're there and you're beloved. But you had, I think, for a long time, and we can talk about this mm-hmm. in a minute, a love-hate relationship a little bit with it. But now you're back. Mm-hmm. What's that been like? It's great. You know, I don't think I don't know that I ever had a hate, a love-hate. Now, there are, are factions of things – Things that have happened over the years that, you know, when I was in college, I just wanted somebody to stand up for me. You know, with <laughs> there was a lot of pressure. People were always talking about who I was dating, what I was doing. When you say they, you wanted somebody to stand up for you, what do you I mean? wanted an adult to stand up for me and say, hey, listen. Leave Rex alone. Leave, don't tell him who he can date and who he can't. You know, I mean, I'm, I wasn't an adult yet. But there were a lot of adults I mean, to be real, pointing dating, fingers at me. You were dating an uh, African-American. Hey, I, see, that? that's another misconception. Yeah. Uh, and? Ants of mothers. No, yes. <laughs> and the girl, a Filipino girl on the gymnastics team and a girl on the volleyball team. But and, your and, point is that should matter. But my point matter. is, I'm not saying it shouldn't matter. I'm saying it can't matter. How can it matter? How can somebody who someone's dating in college, how can an adult, any adult, no matter who it is, tell you who to date and who to not date? Are you saying, did you have people at UK telling you that? I had, I had people from all over the state saying well, this. That's fans. And yes, at, yes. When I was in school, I had, there were several meetings I had at, at school where this went on. And... So I got tired of it. I would understand. And uh, so let me. Let I, 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 I and want... there's a whole other thing. My cheers were the loudest, right? <laughs> they were loud. Uh, we but can did also... that, did that. Okay, so I, I want to because yeah. I, I again I find you very interesting. With this. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you knew you were beloved. Right. I mean, there's still look. I, I still remember when you left those t-shirts, the young yeah. and the Rex. Right. But at the same time, you also had these people criticizing you about you had, about what. About things off the court. Which, let's just say it. Yeah. It or, or was right. It was one thing off the court. Yeah, it was, so it was right. Yes. Okay, at the same time, you're getting the loudest cheers. Mm-hmm. Probably also, you think, because I'm the white kid. Uh, Definitely. And, you know, that's bared out over the years. That's did that not make just it my... harder for you with your teammates? It it did in my – because at the time, you got – looking back, I was the best player on the team. At the time, I was a – freshman and sophomore on a team with juniors and seniors and I never felt like I maybe some at some point my sophomore year I realized it but I still was I was just thrilled to be playing basketball with Ed Davender and James Blackman and Winston Bennett and those guys and so yeah if my my cheers were louder it, it kind of bothered me but did it bother you then or it bothered it you bothered back? me then at the time, well, in that's real why I time. Said that, but that's why I said the love-hate thing. I don't mean hate like you were angry. Content, no, listen. But it had to be difficult. It's difficult. It's still difficult when I sit in and I hear, when I see every day uh, Dominique Hawkins doing his thing on the court and in practice and games, game after game after game, and he gets in and does something great, and then Derek Willits comes in and plays two minutes, makes a shot, and the place goes crazy. 
Those cheers are louder, and the, there's are, nobody but don't that you, can. But Dominique got. Do, but, but Dominique was beloved too. But you don't think it was the same? Hey, I've been around this thing for a long time, mm-hmm. and I know this. Three times in college, I went home on the weekend after the season was over with black teammates of mine, um, with white girlfriends they had to pretend as though I was her boyfriend for the weekend so that the girl could get her parents to meet her real boyfriend, who was one of my black teammates. So so you're saying you would go home with with people – the girl would introduce you as the boyfriend, yes, just so that they could also get. And to- I'm just bringing him along. That's the that's the wow. ruse. And so we would spend the weekend and eat dinner and have fun and sit up and all that. But yeah, and it was just and you know I, I think back and I wish I would have had more guts, really, to you know to say things. I didn't know what I I didn't know. But in 1988, that would have been a hard thing to do. Well, it was wrong then, and, and it's wrong now. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm older now, and again, I love this university. I love this program, and and I don't. You think it's got? You think it's gotten better? Yeah, oh yeah, yes, yes. But you know, look what's going on around us right now. We've got all kinds of. Racial tension and and all that and and look we're a, we're a state of so that gets back to my question then when you came back here mm-hmm. you have I mean really you leave mm-hmm. for the NBA draft yeah and that is your strong I mean th- th- those are your two years now you're still connected with the program but from well, the, from a distance but no 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 well uh, uh, until I quit playing in two thousand. Uh, I was over there every day in the summertime playing against those guys. So when Rick was here yes, and all that. Yeah, okay. all, all through all that. I've been – I mean, Kenny and I raised those teams in the 90s. Kenny you know, Walker. Kenny Walker and I, yes. So you guys in the 90s would come yes, and all play – until I quit playing Rick in 2000. Rick and Tubby those years? Yes. All every, yes. Uh, Tubby, if – I'd speak at Tubby's camps and have, had a great relationship with Tubby. So all through his tenure as well. Now, near the end of his, his tenure, actually, is when um, I had a little bit of a problem, and it was all due to Rajon. Uh, Rajon, I talked Rajon out of transferring or leaving school three times his sophomore year. He was in the car, headed back to Louisville one of those times, saying, I can't play here anymore. And I said, listen, Rajon, if you quit, you lose you'll be buried in the draft. And, uh, you know, at this time, he really was the best point guard in the draft. I still have him had him ranked that year. I've got all my notes and everything. J.J. Berea was in his draft and a couple other guys who were did, taken ahead of him. Did they pick Berea no, over him? No, uh, uh, they, they might have. Oh he may have goodness. been. <laughs> but there were, there were a couple other guys that were yeah. taken too. And I'd seen him play since he was a, a sixth grader. And you could have put him in a varsity basketball game as a sixth grader and told him, bring the ball up the floor and get us into our offense. He was that advanced. But he was a little prickly. I mean, his teammates didn't like him. Hey, there is no question he's prickly. He's high maintenance. He's moody. He's a genius basketball player. And the one thing you can't do to Rajon Rondo is embarrass him. And Tubby embarrassed him 
Rajon wasn't even starting at the end of his sophomore year. Ramel Bradley yeah. and Patrick Sparks were starting. And this is a guy who's still playing in the NBA. When you say embarrassing, is that what you mean, that not starting? Yeah. yeah. You can't do that. And then Rick Carlisle embarrassed him in Denver – or, I'm sorry, Dallas. in Dallas. Yeah. And you He's can He's playing good now. He always plays well. He, he just doesn't defend real well now. They'll win this series, though, because they've got, I think, the three best players on the floor right now, Anthony, Drew Holiday, and Rajon. They're – all so three. when you say though it, the the Rajon thing separated, it was because you took Rajon's side. Is that yeah. what you mean? It, it, yes. Um, I, I and then I know that that I don't think Tubby and those guys did him any favors uh, when he decided to leave, and he ends up being taken twenty first, I think, or twenty second, mm -hmm. and should have been a you know Bottom, top seven top or eight yeah, pick. Yeah. Um, but you know he. So yeah. So there was that. But then. Uh, Tubby left, and Billy came in, and I knew Billy somewhat, so I, I was around a little bit, but I wasn't at my best during <laughs> <laughs> these years. And then with Cal, how's your relationship been? Cal's with Cal? been great. Um, you know, Cal and I have never had, <laughs> we've never had a crossword, never anything. Uh, I tweeted out the thing. You were in the league when Cal's with the Nets, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Did so you I know played, him at all? Yeah, during that? yeah. I mean, I, I've known Cal for years and years since yeah. he was at, yeah, at UMass. Um, he was, Cal was, Cal's a few years older, I guess. Mm -hmm. What? You, how old is Cal? He's in his mid-50s. Yeah. yeah. He was a young up, up-and-coming coach. He'd have been in his early, probably early 20s when I was a five-star basketball camper. So you were at the Vicaro. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I, that's how I knew Cal. Uh, he and Robe. Uh, both of those guys were, were five-star Howard Garf Garfinkel guys. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I knew him, and uh, then, listen, I sent out the stupid tweet. Well, uh, okay, so we – I mean, you and I have talked about uh -huh. that before on the show, but you sent out that tweet about the national championship game going mm -hmm. to the Lakers. I mean, you – I'm sure when you sent that, you thought it was true. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and – but – did that cause? I mean, we we've talked about how what happened with you and the fans mm -hmm. with that. Did that cause any difficulty with Cal? None, none ever. Um, you know, I I think he was. I don't think he ever even commented on it. Uh, he, he but he he may have. I don't know. We 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 he, talked about I'll it. I'll tell you something you, I've never said before, uh -huh. but I'll say it to you. Yeah. He mentioned to me, like the next day mm -hmm. or two days. Why do you think Rex would send that? Mm -hmm. Because he knew I knew you a little bit. Yeah. And I said, you know, I think he sent it probably because he thought it was right. Because yeah. it was true. Um, and then he just sort of moved on. Like, yeah. it was – I don't think he held a grudge or no, something. No, he, he, he really didn't. And you could have said, I think he's on drugs. And you would have been right. So, uh, let me ask but, you. Well, was, that, was, that, was that you were then during that time? Really and truly, Matt, I was from the, the biggest part of 2001 – to 2014 for um, 13 years were yeah. you so when you were done playing yes and it was all what did it initially start With, through injuries oh yeah yeah i was given oxycontin after um after an appendectomy i'd had seven orthopedic surgeries in three years a rod in my shin and ankles and metal and hands and whatnot and then i had an emergency appendectomy i knew i was going to stop playing at the end of the year there was only like 10 games left. And the uh, doctor gave me OxyContin. And for, I, 
I don't want to exaggerate it, but in 48 hours or less, I knew I was in love. I mean. So I want you to explain this up yeah. to me because, all right, so I, I almost never drink. Yeah. Have never done any hard right. drugs. So, like, it when, when I hear people talk about addiction, mm-hmm. you know, I've had it in my family. Yeah. And I can feel like I can understand it, but then, but then there is the addiction of the opioid mm-hmm. addiction, which seems to me to be on another level. Yeah, it is. Does is the initial when you say in love, like is the initial high, unlike anything to the point that like you can't not like, not with w- the pill. What makes it so different? Well, uh, for me, and I think going through this, I've learned some things over the last few years I didn't know, um, but the allure, uh, you know, how many friends do you know? I've got, I have addiction on both sides of my family, be it alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And um, you think about around here, you can't walk, there's beer on ice in every 7-Eleven, right? Marijuana stinks, or used to. Um, the The allure is you can take something and blend in with society and not smell like alcohol or reek of weed. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's that thing. Now, when I first took it, um, yes, I had physical pain, but immediately I started realizing, you know what? I don't stress out as much about my marriage and I was in a difficult marriage of course I would have been I was an idiot and was on drugs so uh, (laughs) but it allowed me to what I've I've kind of coined this uh oxycontin as sort of the it'll be all right drug because that's sort of what it tells you subconsciously all the time it'll be all right and any bad thought that comes in, it filters in and filters out real quick. And any good thought that comes in, it sort of hangs around and lingers. The other part for me, I've always been socially uncomfortable mm-hmm. around people yeah. I don't know. And especially so around people that knew me and who maybe wanted to talk. And if I didn't know them, that I, can for, be sure, tough. I, can I for sure uh would come off as standoffish Mm -hmm. and what I found right away right away because I I can remember like it was yesterday I went to my son's t-ball game uh t-ball baseball coach pitch something like that and a guy came up to me that I always avoided because he just (laughs) he wanted to talk talk basketball and um he came up and the next thing I knew, the game was over. And he and I were still sitting there talking six innings later. And I, it, it just, it made, what it did for me, Matt, it made me feel like everyone I've always looked at on the outside who looks like a normal, happy person to me, mm-hmm. I felt like. You felt like one of them. I did. And look, I know everybody has their stuff. And. It, this was just my perception of the world. And, you know, growing up when you're – it's not a lot different than being a child actor. It's no, really not. Dude, I mean, you were a level of fame at a young age that's hard to – And before the internet, which is in the whole other which a whole other thing. Yeah. So, all right. So, you're on, you, you get prescribed mm-hmm. 
And how long were you prescribed OxyContin? Well, I was prescribed OxyContin probably for six months. Okay. And then after that, did it become illegal use for you? Oh, yeah. Well, by the time I, by the time I went into rehab, <laughs> my first stint in rehab, um, Danny Ainge had come to me and said, hey, you got to go away. You're messing your whole life up. And I was like, what? I had no idea. But I was it just decision, bad decision after bad decision. And um, so I go to rehab. And when I got there, I was taking, I, I'd, you know, obviously built up tolerance, but I was taking 40 Vicodin a day and about 10 OxyContin a day. That and, sounds like a ton. Well, is ten, it? you can take the 10 of those, uh, the 10 OxyContin, they were like, one is like the equivalent of seven Vicodin, so it's 49. We're talking around 80, 90 to 100 pills a day. And just chewing them, chewing them up because they get into the system, you know, quicker. Get system quicker and they taste like crap. Can I say that? <laughs> You're doing it right. um, <laughs> uh, Awful. And so that's, that's where I was. And How many I got, times you go to rehab? Three. But I, that, I remember going into that one, and they were just now. This was 2001-ish. They were just starting to see OxyContin patients in rehab. They, you know, this is a brand new thing. And I remember sitting there, and ladies, chains of shifts, nurses. One nurse came into the other one. I had just gotten there. And I heard, overheard one of them say to the other, you know, what's, what's, he, de what's he detoxing from? And they said OxyContin. She went, ugh. She said, seven days. It's just like the heroin withdrawal. And I'm telling you, each time that I've gone through it, and I've been through it three times, it's six, seven, eight days of just throwing up and, and <laughs> feeling like you're going to die. So when you, when you got through that and you get out, yeah. how long would you be clean before you'd be back? The first time I got out, well, I got out the first time, and I never again took OxyContin. I, I think OxyContin is a monster. It should be reserved for acute injuries right away. You don't prescribe it for more than four or five days ever. Uh, un now, unless you're terminal mm -hmm. and that those sorts yeah. of things. Um, and I never went back to it. I was scared to death of it. Um, but within... Uh, within a very short period of being at home, I started having these stomach problems that it just felt like an empty stomach that I attributed to withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And so I had to get a screw taken out of my wrist. They gave me, you know, I hadn't, of course, at this point, I'm not telling everybody. I don't want everybody to know what's yeah. going on. And, uh, but I didn't tell them, you know, they give me a script. And I, I know I'm, I'm gonna, got my arm in a cast. I know it's going to be painful for a couple days. So I take some Vicodin, and right away, the, the pain in my stomach went away. And I go, well, um, fast forward six months, and I'm taking 15 Vicodin again a day. And then I got to go back in because I, and, you know, I, and so I see where it's going. I can't. It's telling me when to take it, and I'm not doing. I'm not telling it. Yeah. So I go back in, and actually this time I went in and had a rapid detox, which is the dumbest thing ever. You go in, and they flush you full of saline and sort of try to clean. You yeah, up. and that doesn't work. So very quickly after that, probably a month or so, I I went to a doctor that prescribed me Suboxone because he said what I was feeling was 
withdrawal mm -hmm. and I needed to be on Suboxone. I was on Suboxone for 10 years and you shouldn't be on it more than a couple, three or four months. And now I had also been told, well, this will work also with your arthritis. So now I've got thinking and I've got arthritis, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so I took that for you know, 10 years. Were and you then, prescribed that whole time? Yes. Yeah. And it's one of those things. It's, it was, and they've got them all over town here, uh, all over town. You could go, I could walk in somewhere and I could find somebody to write me a prescription for, for Suboxone today. If you, if you dared me. Now, am I wrong though, that some of you tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, go ahead. I, towards the end of your addiction yes. was when I kind of became yeah. friends with you and we share some mutual friends. Yeah. And, I was told that during that time you were having some difficulty financially because of yeah. your need to buy these drugs. Was that not the case? No, it, that really wasn't the case. Now, um, it may have been. So you were legal through all this, but it was just that you were no. taking. Oh, uh, oh, through the Suboxone, absolutely legal. Now, when I went to rehab the first time, the only time I was ever illegal uh, it, obtaining drugs was – um, when I couldn't take the Oxycontin, I was taking so much of it yeah. that, you know, it, I couldn't do it. So I was going, and getting here's the part, I was going and getting it in bulk and watching them, watching the guys who are going to sell it to me um, do their little transaction out the back of a Walgreens. Oh. See, but isn't that part, like part of what makes this, this problem so bad is that you were addicted yeah. on a high level where it was completely ruining your life, and it was all, like, above the law. Above the law, and I didn't smell. I didn't, you know. Uh, it, what's crazy about it is it's just I, I don't know that we're going to – I don't know that we – I think we'll die. You and I will die someday with this still being a problem that we're seeing. Um, I hope that we have – because it's big. It's really big. And um, I'm not sure that people really understand. Is it? But I mean, do you? So at some point, mm -hmm. there has to be, you know, in the smoking industry, at mm -hmm. some point, the blame, at least partially, was put on tobacco companies for the way they marketed, et cetera. Do you? And and the, there are fewer people smoking now than there used to be. It's still an addiction. It's still an issue. But well, it's uh, not what it was. Well, let me ask you this, Matt, real quick. Go. I want you to finish that. But what? What medical purpose is cigarette are cigarettes providing us? Zero. But they're legal. Correct. Okay. Medical cannabis, marijuana, mm -hmm. could that be helping the people of Kentucky? Yes. Why? If cigarettes aren't, why then all right, then why isn't that legal? Well, there's no good reason. There's no good reason for not having it legal, and there's no good reason for having cigarettes be legal. Yeah, I mean you go back in history and find out when that happened, it was basically the tobacco companies bought off the federal government. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it like in the 1910s or whenever you know, it was. The other part about this is people get back to the personal responsibility. And yes. I, I just got to tell you, I, I I was not a guy for, and ask any of my teammates, ask any of our mutual friends, I was never from age zero to 33 years old. I never, I wasn't a drinker. I didn't smoke. 
I was if I drank twelve night if I played a thousand games in my life, if I drank as an NBA player, if I drank a beer twelve in twelve on twelve of those games the night before, that sound that's about right. I just wasn't that guy seeking that. Mm-hmm. And now that I've gone down that road, I I know for sure that it, it has changed my brain in that things bother me more you know little things will annoy me more and sounds and and my attention span and then my memory um there have been several times since we've been sitting here that i've gone down a path and i've forgotten what we were talking about and i get and you you I'll think go that, to, you blame that on the i wasn't that way before and now and i'm 50 also and i want to go back to the farm i mean do you think the pharmaceutical industry slash doctors i mean when you're talking about changing it, mm-hmm. i mean i i sort of refuse to believe there's nothing that can be done about things. Right. I mean, and to me, a lot of the problem lies with the f- pharmaceutical industry and the pushing of yes. these drugs. Yes. I mean, I and at some point we as a society have to face that. Mm-hmm. And that includes politicians who are basically bought off by them stopping. Yes, that's right. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And we we got to try to do something about it. And I think I think I'm, you know, we we know some political people here in the state that are really have their heart in the right place that want to do some good things. I think the main right now it would really help if we would just funnel some money into really making the doctors. They got to go. They've got to sit and have intensive whatever it is, 3 days, 5 days of what what really what this whole addiction thing is and what they're pushing on patients. I think it has to start there, and then we've got to start educating. You know, people. Now you're asked all the time by um, by political folks to be yeah. involved in stand up here and do yeah. this and say this. Do you? I mean, do you get a sense that those actions are sincere? Like, like, I mean, this state is in a crisis, yeah. and it's not. It shouldn't be a partisan crisis. Yeah, I mean, no. it's it has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats or anything like that. Yeah. Do you get a sense that the people working towards it, you think? are doing it for the right reasons. I mean, do you feel optimistic at all or no? Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, you went to the white house recently. No, you? I was going to go. Going to go. Okay. Yeah. I was going to go. I was invited and then sort of uninvited, but yeah, <laughs> did they check your Twitter that. account? <laughs> <laughs> that may have been what happened. So, um, anyway, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. Where were we? See? Well, I was asking you if you, if you, are optimistic oh, that leaders yeah. in this state want to fix it. I don't know. I've not spoken to Mitch. I feel like everybody from Andy Andy Bashir to John Tilly to Van Ingram and the I people really, I who, like John Tilly. Like I do too. Good guy. And uh he and Van and, and his and their uh partner Wes, they sort of serve as the de facto drug council for the state. Yeah. And um I, they're well versed. They their heart is in the right place. I think they're just so much overwhelmed. They are overwhelmed, and then there's chaos going on right now, and they don't know. Kind of. Well, what was the moment for you? I mean, all right. So everybody knows when yeah. you were uh, uh, arrested. Arrested. Yeah. Was there a moment for you? Like, was that what it took? The embarrassment. Of- I think so. That, but it wasn't the. the yeah, it's embarrassing. My kids, my kids at the time, you know, Zeke was, well, this has not been that long ago, four years ago. Has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was doing my Golly. radio. Show. 
Well, it was yeah. right after the 2014 title, yeah, right? Like yeah. it was in the coming so co- yes, months. Yeah, yeah. so my, my uh, uh, Zeke was probably 20, mm-hmm. 21, and then down from there. But, yeah, embarrassed. I, I was I embarrassed them. I, I um, you know, yeah. And, and our buddy Steve Romines, yeah. you know, he told me, came and saw me over there at the Brook in Louisville and said, hey, man. Something had to happen. Something had to happen, and he was right. You know, because you had to have had friends saying to you, "Dude, I or did." did you? I, <laughs> yeah, but I avoided them, and and I could do that. I lived out west, and if I didn't want to answer my phone, I didn't. What I did was I hold myself up and isolated, other than when I was with my girls, with my kids, who I still had, you know, shared custody with. We were going through a divorce and. Just a really well, I tough would see period. You, I saw you here during that 20, maybe 13 season, mm-hmm. 2013 or 14 season. You were in town. And it was funny because you were what I've later realized you were not the Rex that is real. But the <laughs> first Rex I got to know was like happy-go-lucky, yeah. woo, yeah, Rex Chapman. An and I yeah. actually thought, wow – What's funny is, in hindsight, I look back and go, "How sad!" That, that Rex was so much fun, and then yeah. I remember, man, that's really sad. Yeah, because he wasn't happy. He right. was doing this thing, and I remember talking to Steve Romines and saying, "Hey, I was with Rex. Man, he's crazy." Yeah. And, and Steve going, "Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah." And and see, he knows because Steve lived with me in, yes, in Charlotte. Knew, yeah. And here's the other, and I, people, I, I think it's the whole laugh to keep from crying thing. If I'm by myself, or heck at home with my son or any anybody i don't i could go all day and not talk to anyone then you'd be all right and i'd I'd be just fine and so when i come out part of me like i don't like watching the games at the game because i can't it's just too distracting for me like i I, i'll start watching then somebody will say hey you you can't and so yeah but i've i've gotten to where i've probably at this age where I wish I would have been able to take things in at 18 like I can now and know that because I'm telling you, it, it was hard at games too because guess what we're at games when I was playing? Cheerleaders. And they <laughs> – no, I'm trying to tell you. They distracted me. I've often said, man, I could have been a great player if I hadn't spent all my time in college chasing girls. And that's what I was doing. Now, I did play a lot of basketball, but <laughs> I'm trying to say everything, I was just overwhelmed emotionally at 18 years old. So, uh, when you went into rehab in Louisville, you've talked about mm-hmm. people like Kenny Payne yeah. coming and seeing mm-hmm. you. I mean, how how much, how big a deal was that? Can I cuss on here? Yes, if you need um, to. Yeah, uh, it was a huge deal. You know, came the first day was Rick. Rick came, uh, Patino, and... We sat there, Vinny, his buddy Vinny, who's mm-hmm. there. We go way back with, and I didn't play for Rick, but you know, I, I do love Rick. He he's he's been great to me over the years. Uh, I know you you and Rick are not the best of friends, but I mean, I don't, to but, be fair, I don't know him. Well, you right, know, like right. it's more of but a. He came in. Yeah. He came in, and you know, he obviously he's speaking from a, a place of perspective, mm-hmm. and he looked at me and he said, "Listen, you're going to be all right." He said, but you're going to eat a lot of shit for a while. And he said, it's going to start out, and it's going to be the size of a beach ball. 
and little by little it'll go to the size of a basketball and then to a bowling ball and a softball and then a tennis ball and then a ping pong ball and before you know it he said but until then you're going to eat a lot of shit and you need to accept it and I because at the time I'm still sitting there and people are saying to me this is going to be great you're going to do so much good with this afterwards and me resisting and saying this is not going to be my story this was never going to be my story it's not going to be my story I refuse it's my story and if I run from it at this point I think that's kind of cowardly well you can have yeah positive impact right and it keeps me honest and all that I'm lucky in that I don't have so to I was on the suboxone we find out when I get off of it over here at the brook it's always been ulcers opioids and opiates cause ulcers they also mask the ulcers the pain and so when i got out they realized i had ulcers because they had to take me from the brook to the hospital my stomach hurt so bad they put me on ulcer medication and i've never ever since then had anything remotely so the opioids resem- caused the ulcers but also made it to where you couldn't see them yes or, well or feel, feel, feel them yeah. yes and so I and I always had medication, so I never felt it. So for probably since I went with the OxyContin, you know, in 2001 until 2014, I had ulcers. Yeah. And so I got off of them, and I I feel great. But so anyway. now you're back doing, you know, you you have kind of two things. You you decided to stay in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and it would seem to me it's interesting when you decide to do that because on one level. You could go back to Phoenix or yeah. other places and be much more anonymous. Yeah. But you are here. Is that for sort of a uh, comfort standpoint? Is it what made you decide that you wanted to rebuild your life here? Um, yeah, it's, that's a difficult one. I, I think a big part of me went at when I quit playing, wanted to be anonymous for, I just wanted to stop being me. For, you didn't and, want to be Rex Chapman. Yeah, and I, I really didn't. And I and I guessed <laughs> through through the trials, I realized hey, it's better being this guy than the other guy because I, 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 I've learned to sort of live with it and, and appreciate, you know, people coming up and saying things and wanting to take pictures and um, because I definitely was not that guy. Uh, as a young person, and I'm sure I disappointed a lot of people standing in lines that I didn't speak to or speak nicely enough to. Um, so I feel like there's, honestly, Matt, I feel like I've probably grown up more in the last four years than I did. You know, talk about arrested development because I just played basketball and I was able to be a kid forever. And then for 15 years, I just sort of stayed stagnant. And, Are uh, people good to you? They're great to me. Do you, so you don't ever have anybody being like a jackass to you? Nah, not. I mean, occasionally I'll be at the uh, <laughs> I'll be at the gas station or something, and uh, I remember a guy came up to me, and he grabbed my arm the other day. Most this almost never happens. Grabs my arm. He's probably sixty, sixty-five. Grabs my arm and says to me, "Do you know how good your life could have been if you just uh, if you just." Uh, what was it? If you were just how we wanted you to be. Oh, gosh. And I said, uh, and he started to walk off, and he turned back around, and he said, think we can beat Bama this weekend? 
Yeah. But you know what's yeah. interesting about See, that? See, he didn't think it. He didn't think exactly. anything he about it. That he's that. That is that I is know. a really symbolic it, it, thing. Like he still. Yeah. He hates he's you. But he still up. loves you. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And that's how people are. I mean, I look. I say things. <laughs> well, let me ask you about that yeah. because it's interesting to me, and I don't say this as a criticism, mm-hmm. but. I've known you for a few years, and yeah. you never – like, I've always been somebody with interest in politics, yeah. et cetera, and you never seemed to be someone that cared mm-hmm. until the last couple of years, and you seem to really have been become engaged. Why is that? I, I think, like I said, part of it is I was only always just in tune to what was going on in my life, like a, Very a selfish asshole. Yeah. And I think part of it has been <laughs> – I've got more time. I used to gamble a lot at the racetrack, a lot for many years, and I've got more time. Uh, I I'm trying to read more things. I if I read two books before 35, I might be telling the truth there. I I didn't read. I, I would read magazines and newspapers, but I'm just. I guess I'm trying to be more of an adult and. and be a better example for my kids is that a big part of it? yeah i think so um you know they're they're growing up and life's hard i think i think the more that we can i didn't grow up really knowing that life was really hard but it is and um i think the more that i can let my kids know that that things happen in life and you gotta be tough and Dust yourself off and do that. Well, let me sort ask you thing. this: There are going to be people who who listen to this as mm-hmm. I drop my phone, yeah. um, who either themselves or know somebody. I guarantee you, there are people listening to this who are going through something similar yeah. to what you went through. I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind, and if they're not, someone close to them is. And some of those people will listen to you yeah. in a way they won't. What would you say? I don't mean just advice, but mm. just what would you say to those folks? Like, what what do you go and do if you're trapped in something like you were? You know, I, somebody at, I spoke at a, in Evansville the other night for a, a group. It's called Seven Sisters, and they were all sisters under 35 years old who all had lost siblings uh, over the last two years to this, to the opioid, to heroin mainly. Pills started with pills and then the heroin. And there were probably 300 people there. And there was an older guy. He was probably 65-ish. And, you know, he's kind of sitting there with his arms folded the whole time. And I started taking questions. I called on him. And, you know, his first question was, you know, what if you've got a, what if you've got a friend who, you know, just won't this and that and this and that. And so right away I know he's, he's got somebody that he's thinking about. I answer his question a few minutes later and he raised his hand again. And very quickly I realized he was, has always been one of these personal responsibility guys. And so He's got a guy that in his a friend of his or family member that that he knows has a problem, but he didn't know what to do. And I said, the one thing you can't do, in my opinion, is just kick him to the curb. I said, I I was lucky in that I have a lot of friends. I made a lot of friends, went to a lot of places, a lot of people really that I didn't know loved me, loved me. But you do. We- but if you're not Rex Chapman, that's right. And and what happens is, look, just like me, if I'd have gotten out of jail. And uh, rehab, a jail, gone to a little place where I only have, I've got seven relatives and three friends, and I've screwed them all over the last couple years, I don't have much 
And when I get out, I've got to have a place to live. Mm -hmm. I've got to have food. I've got to somehow make some money. And guess what happens? You get out. get a job. You can't get a job because you've got legal, blah, 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 blah. You're stuck there, and the very first money you get is going to go to drugs. It's just that's just what's going to happen. So I would say, listen, you've got to love these people. Um, and sometimes it means tough love, and sometimes you've got to drive them to rehab, and you've got to, it's got to be that. But I just don't think you can, somebody you love and care about, because people have, many, many, many people have not asked for this. They really haven't. And I, I wish anybody listening to this, read Dreamland, um, read Hillbilly Elegy, read, read some of these books that kind of encapsulate what we're seeing right now in this part of the United States with opioid. Do you think, and then I'll yeah. let you go with this, do you think that this, you mentioned this is who you are and that you've accepted that. Do you think we all sort of look like what's our purpose? Yeah. <laughs> Is this yours? You know, Matt, I, I don't I don't think so, but Seth Davis told me that a couple years ago. And um, I said no because I, I don't like speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the question and answer stuff because I think people get more out of it as opposed to me going up there and just talking about myself because most of the time it's about how great I used to be. And so and I don't like it. But I do know that, I do know, I, just like I think of Kenny Payne's words and Rick's words and um, Mark Verge and Steve Romine's words, when I was in my deepest, darkest, saddest place in my life, I do know that if somebody's sitting there, and I have, I have friends, functioning friends right now, who they'll go out and have a beer, but you know what? They're taking four or five Vicodin a day, and they'll say, man, I just love it. I said, and I always say, I know you do. Just know, if four to five turns into five or six, you got to do something about it, you know. And, and or they take a couple, or I didn't take it. I didn't take any yesterday, or I. No, I've been down that road before, and it's a it's a monster. And the I think the main reason is it's undetectable. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I far be it from me to tell you what to do, but you are the highest profile person. <laughs> No, I mean this. Yeah. I mean this as a as a compliment. Yeah. You're the highest profile person in this state that has dealt with something like this and been able to bounce back. And that can't help but be an inspiration for folks. Yeah. And when you see somebody like Richie. Yeah. I have love you reached Rich. out to I him? Have. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've talked to Rich. Rich Richie's uh I I'm I'm on it with Richie. Um I think he's going through a tough time. And do you see similarities? Uh, no, he, he, no. Okay. No, well, you don't I don't have to go into Yeah, I, mean, I, I won't, but I, I am on it. I hope all you guys, yeah. I wish you the boat, the best. And I've become, uh, you know, close with you and, uh, you've become a really good friend and I really appreciate it. I hey, appreciate man. you taking the time to come and join us. Thanks for having me. Come on. And, hope, uh, hopefully people will laugh. Keep reading. Yeah. Reading all right. is good. See? I know. We should do a Rex Chapman book list. Yeah, you know who you need to get on here is is Brett Barrup. Oh, I yeah. I mean, have I, you had Bear on? I have not. I've that talk, would be golden. I mean, he's an interesting character. What's he doing now? He's disappeared. No, he he's he's still there. He he's doing more Rams 
uh, Los Angeles Rams. So he's not Denver he's and Denver, all that stuff. He's Denver, but it's the same thing. You know, it's Stan. Wasn't he doing soccer or something for a Arsenal. while? Arsenal. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, though. Is he still, like, massive? Yeah, but he's lost some. He's probably – He's probably, no, I don't mean just weight. I don't mean like just oh, weight. Six, I mean he's nine, like so huge, yeah, he's just huge, tall great, big and big hands. guy. Six, six nine. Uh, he's a he's a good three bills. Well, there was a three. time he was very active online, and I don't know. Yeah, he's not as much anymore. Yeah, I think more of an observer anymore. Okay. Yeah. Well, but no, we'll get you with with Bear because that would be golden. All right, we definitely will. Rex, thank you very much, you and thank you, folks, for listening again. We uh, vinaigrette. It's at Palomar. Ah. North Broadway, that's the one downtown. Perfect. Sharky Way, that's the one next to me. And where's War Admiral Way? War Admiral. Maybe that's the summit. I don't know. The one Sharky Way is the one close to me. Yeah, maybe Hamburg. Either way, look, go go to Vinaigrette and thanks for them do it. And we will uh, we'll have another one of these. I'm on vacation next week. We'll have another one right after that to get ready for the Derby. Do you still do horse? Oh yeah, I, I, I. I don't like to because I, I I itch too much just to have some action. So I, I'm taking a, a self-imposed break from it for a while. Yeah, well, that's probably yeah. good. I'll yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let them know that. Uh, I still know who's going to win the Derby, though. Who is it? I'm not going to tell you. Well, what difference does it make if you're not no, playing? I'm, I'm it? playing against you. <laughs> I thought you weren't playing, and now you're going to hurt me. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play with my buddies. I'll okay, give you're not them gonna... the deal. Okay, you give them the juice? Yeah, I'll give them the juice. (laughs) All right, we'll see you later. (laughs) This has been the Matt Jones Podcast. Send lawyers, guns, and money.